Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday, December 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would definitely encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something you want to listen to. And there's a very good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So again, great thing to be doing. Great, great place to be going to find stuff to listen to. All right. Well, like I've, like I've been saying to you, you know, we're just going to be doing, we're not doing our Bible study this week. I'm doing a little bit of talking about the humbleness of the Christ child and of his birth. Um, so what we're going to do first here is we're going to go ahead and do our Bible reading. We're getting closing in on the end of the end of the um, reading plan. So we're in our, let's see, we're in our minor prophets and revelation. And then of course, Psalm and Proverbs as we are every day. So we're going to do that first. And then we'll talk a little bit. And we're going to talk today about the humbleness of Christ's parents, because we've, that's what we've been talking about, the humbleness of the Christ child. So let's go ahead and open up. Let me see if I can get my mouse in the right place. There we go. Let's go ahead and open up with the fourth day morning prayer called true Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction, and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion for December 20th, uh, the text is from Jeremiah 31.3. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Sometimes the Lord Jesus tells his church his love thoughts. He does not think it enough behind her back to tell it, but in her very presence he says, Thou art all fair, my love. It is true, this is not his ordinary method, 
He is a wise lover and knows when to keep back the intimation of love and when to let it out. But there are times when he will make no secret of it, times when he will put it beyond all dispute in the souls of his people. The Holy Spirit is often pleased, in a most gracious manner, to witness with our spirits of the love of Jesus. He takes of the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. No voice is heard from the clouds and no vision is seen in the night. But we have a testimony more sure than either of these. If an angel should fly from heaven and inform the saints personally of the Savior's love to him, the evidence would not be one whit more satisfactory than that which is born in the heart by the Holy Ghost. Ask those of the Lord's people who have lived the nearest to the gates of heaven, and they will tell you that they have had seasons when the love of Christ towards them had been a fact so clear and sure that they could no more doubt it than they could question their own existence. Yes, beloved believer, you and I have had times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and then our faith has mounted to the topmost heights of assurance. We have had confidence to lean our heads upon the bosom of our Lord, and we have no more questioned our Master's affection to us than John, John did when in that blessed posture, nay, nor so much for the dark question, Lord, is it I that shall betray thee, has been put far from us. He has kissed us with the kisses of his mouth and killed our doubts by the closeness of his embrace. His love has been sweeter than wine to our souls. All right, well, our reading for the day, we're going to do Haggai 1 and 2, Revelation 11, Psalm 139, and Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. Then the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies waste? So now, thus says Yahweh of hosts, Set your heart to consider your ways. You have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, set your heart to consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the house of God, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says Yahweh. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little, and you bring it home, and I blow it away. Why, declares Yahweh of hosts, because of my house which lies waste, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has restrained its dew, and the earth has restrained its produce. And I call, called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of his people, listened to the voice of Yahweh their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as Yahweh their God had sent him. And the people feared Yahweh. Then Haggai the messenger of Yahweh spoke by the commissioned message of Yahweh to the people, saying, I am with you, declares Yahweh. 
So Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work on the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Haggai 2 On the twenty-first of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who among you remains who saw the house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem like nothing in your eyes? But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares Yahweh, Be strong also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land, be strong, declares Yahweh, and work, for I am with you, declares Yahweh of hosts. As for the promise which I cut with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is standing in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the desirable things of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says Yahweh of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares Yahweh of hosts. On the twenty-fourth of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Haggai for the prophet, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Ask now the priests about the law. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches bread with it this fold, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priests answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares Yahweh, and so is every work of their hands, and what they bring near to me there is unclean. But now, O set your heart to consider from this day onward, from before one stone was set on another in the temple of Yahweh, from when it was that one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, then there would be only ten, and from when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty troughs full, then there would be only twenty. I struck you and every work of your hands with scorching, with scorching wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares Yahweh. O oh, set your heart to consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of Yahweh was founded, set your heart to consider. Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree? It has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on I will bless you. Then the word of Yahweh came a second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the th strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares Yahweh, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares Yahweh of hosts. All right, Revelation 11, and I need to have a drink here for a minute. 
Sorry, there's a bit of ice in there and it's small and it rattles. All right, Revelation 11. Then a measuring rod like a staff was given to me, saying, Get up and measure the sanctuary of God and the altar and those who worship in it, and leave out the court which is outside the sanctuary, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will trample the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for twelve hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wishes to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wishes to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the authority to shut up the sky, so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They also have authority over the waters to turn them into blood, and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they wish. And when they have finished their witness, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and sing gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third, war, third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to, begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your rage came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and to give reward to your slaves, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the sanctuary of God which is in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his sanctuary. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Psalm 139 For the choir director of David, a psalm. O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Yahweh, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have put your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. 
and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, Surely the darkness will bruise me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not too dark for you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unshaped substance, and in your book all of them were written, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of bloodshed, depart from me! For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not revile those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. All right. In Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. There are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. Sheol and the barren womb, earth that is never satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. All right. Well, like I said, we are, uh, I've been talking a little bit about the humbleness of the Christ child and the humbleness of his birth. Um, and I was kind of realizing maybe I didn't make as clear. I'm, I'm not. So in talking about the humbleness and, and I, I've, I think I've talked to you about the fact why I consider the humbleness so important that, um, if we are not truly humble, <clears throat> we cannot come to a saving faith in Christ. And Jesus is the utmost example of humbleness. Um, from the fact of him condescending to be born of a virgin, to be born here on earth, to be born in Bethlehem, that little tiny unwalled village of maybe a hundred people. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be laid in a manger, um, to be crucified on a cross, the worst of the punishments, um, you know, to have no place to live, to have a, basically what was a minor ministry, but that spread throughout the globe. But again, while he was alive, it was minor. I mean, it was well-proclaimed and people knew about it. But again, he was humble. Um, Philippians 2, I read you the verse. How how he was humble. How he didn't, he didn't consider uh, attaining to equalness with God as being appropriate. Now, he is equal with God. He is an equal part of the triune God. Um, and please don't think I'm talking modalism or, or anything like that, but he is, but he didn't strive after it. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, isn't he the one who, you know, who preached about the fact that, you know, when you go, when you go to a feast, um, when you're invited to a feast, sit at the lowest place so that the, so that at, at, at the, at the least the, the person, the host would come and say, no, no, no friend, come sit up here and move you up instead of being proud. Because again, we talked about it, that the religious elite 
their their pride was what led them to their fall into their false religion that we talked about. So that's why I think it's so it's so important to see the humbleness with which God brought about this miraculous thing. So so again, don't think I'm minimizing the cry, cry, the birth of, birth of Christ. It is an amazing, awesome thing. Um, it is one of those key points in the history of man, as is Christ's resur- or Christ's death and resurrection. Those two things are the two biggest occurrences in the history of man. Two biggest occurrences in the history of man. So, you know, I, but again, it, it, what is so amazing and what brings God so much glory is how humble were the beginnings of this. And that was intentional. God did it on purpose this way. So again, we talked about the humbleness of the stable, and I've already mentioned that um, here while, while coming inter, inter, entering into this. And we've talked about the humbleness of Bethlehem, how that's a little small village. But the another thing I want to talk about was the humbleness of his parents. Okay. The humbleness of his parents. Now, some of this we've already talked about, but we need to see how this wraps into it. So these were two folks. Sorry, I needed a little more, more liquid there. These were two folks that were living out in Nazareth. Okay. And I already talked about that, that, you know, those around Jerusalem considered Nazareth the stick, what we would call the sticks, you know, they, 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 they were from, they were from the country. Um, and I joke about it. You know, I, I was born, my brother and I were born in Northern Alabama. My fair, my folks were not from Alabama. One was from Georgia and one was from the backwoods of Mississippi. So I guess Northern Alabama was appropriate for us to be born in. Um, but we we were born there in Northern Alabama, but you know, people talk about Northern Alabama, Bama, and they start thinking of deliverance, you know, um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude, but you know, talking about brothers, Mary and sisters and stuff like that. Well, well, that's how, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be crude, but that's how folks in Jerusalem thought of these folks up in Galilee and especially in Nazareth. Again, we see, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to, uh, I lost my mouth. I want to go to John one. And I think it's Nathaniel. Let's see. Behold the Lamb of God. Here we go. So verse 45, John 1, 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Now, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said about him, behold, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So what Jesus is saying there, you know, I mean, that's the thing. He's not disparaging Nathanael when he says that. What he's saying is, you know, here, here is an Israelite of Israelites, somebody who, you know, the, the, the majority of folks in Israel, that's how they thought that that's what Jesus is saying there. That's how they thought about those in Nazareth. So these folks live in Nazareth. Joseph and Mary live in, live in Nazareth. Now, yes, let's be clear. We see through the gospels. Um, I think it's Matthew and Mark that deal with the, the, the genealogies. Both of them are descended from children of David, neither from Solomon, but both descended from children of David. So they're descended from the king. 
But we have to realize at the same time, this is so far down the line and this is so far after, I mean, this is a good four or 500 years after the kingly line was, 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 was overthrown. Um, and, and those in Jerusalem were hauled off in, you know, into the Babylonian captivity and stuff like that. We've got the intertestamental period. So again, I mean, yeah, people, okay. The line of David, people still identified that, but they no, no longer thought of them as, as heirs to the kingdom that, that just wasn't thought of. Um, and again, so they're living in Nazareth, but they're from Bethlehem. Again, I talked about it. They're from Bethlehem. <coughs> This is still a small town. I mean, I'm sure it was when David's family lived there, when, you know, um, when David and when um, David was serving Jesse and taking care of the sheep and all that. Very, still very small town then. Well, still very small town at this time in the first century. Again, like I said, maybe a hundred people living there. It was unwalled. Um, it was very agrarian. Some sheep. That was it. So we're, we're not, we're not talking the richest of people. We're not talking again, like we talked about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests and the scribes, all were looking for this Messiah to come from, from one of the religious elite families, from one of the Royal families, maybe from Herod's line or something like that. They just couldn't see it because of course, again, they're looking for temporal. They're looking for physical. They're looking for a political savior. And like I said, and again, as I keep saying, I like Ben Shapiro. I love to listen to him. But when it comes to speaking about religion, he makes very, very clear the things he says sound like they're coming out of the mouth of the Pharisees from the first century. Um, they're looking for, or even from the disciples. Again, we've seen the disciples struggle with this, that they still believe that the Messiah is going to be some political warrior king that is going to step on the neck of everybody that is against Israel, thus providing Israel peace. Well, the sad fact is, yes, you can take a prophecy here and a prophecy there and go, well, this is what that says. Except you have to ignore a bunch of other prophecies that put together with those prophecies, make clear that Jesus was coming as a servant. Humble, again, humble. That's why this humbleness, I think this humbleness is so important that it wasn't about him coming and kicking Herod off the throne and setting down and, and sending his warriors out to stomp on the Roman empire and, you know, etc. That was never the point. So it's all about humbleness. Well, so his parents are that humble. They're again, they're not a, yes, they are the line of David, but they're just of the birth line of David, but, but even further we're going to look back at Luke two, verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Okay. And it's really easy. And especially in the other translations where there, there was no room for them in the inn. And we think about them going to the door and the innkeeper saying, no, 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 I don't have any room. Well, that, that wasn't, that wasn't ends at that time. I'm, they translate it that way, but really what you did is you went and stayed with family or you went and stayed with somebody. Um, there were particular people you could go to and you would stay in their guest room. Well, in this small village, 
especially because this census was going on. There was not enough room for them to stay in the guest room of their family, which means there was a lot of other family there. But what is also means, because again, everybody is having to go to their home places. So I would imagine Bethlehem was a little full at that point, at that time. But remember what I was talking about, you know, at a feast, at a feast, you know, some, uh, somebody would throw a feast, somebody would throw a celebration. And people would sit in a certain order, a certain social order. Well, if Joseph and or Mary were higher up that family ladder, they would have been brought into the guest room and others kicked out. But because they're kicked out to the point that their own family leaves them to go stay in possibly a cave and shelter in a cave, which was unheard of in that time that family would do that to then give birth. I mean, this is a pregnant woman. I mean, even then they, they, they would have given place, but think about it. She's a pregnant woman about to get birth, give birth. And they're considered so low, even within their own family that they won't let them inside. I think that speaks something of the humbleness of his parents. Again, we got to think about it. Joseph is a carpenter. We're not talking about the carpenters of our days. It, it becomes very, very easy for us to sit there and think about things in our context. We can't do that. Okay. Joseph was a laborer. A carpenter was a laborer in that time, just like a sheep herder. Okay. Carpenter was no higher, higher than a sheep herder, no higher than a fisherman in that time. All of them were subsistence level jobs, day to day jobs. I mean, not, not that you know, if you're the regular carpenter in the town and because people putting up wood buildings and, and needing wood things, he probably had re pretty regular work. But again, he was not breaking the bank. This was not a guy that could knock down a five or six figure income in, in today's parlance kind of thing that that's not and you know, and was, you know, was in a union and had all the union backing and, you know, and, and thus union contracts and yada, 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 yada. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. That, that is not what, um, that's not Joseph. Okay. He's a hand to mouth type worker. Um, and again, I'm not taking away from his skill, but again, he's, he's, th these, these, are, these are not well off parents. Yes. Fortunately, Jesus father has a skill. His, his earthly father has a skill. So he can support his family and, and he can apprentice his sons in that same trade. So they will be able to feed themselves because there's always going to be a need for carpenters, but none of them are going to be breaking the brink. They're not going to build the, the chain of Joseph and sons, you know, carpentry. I mean, that, that's not where this is going. And Mary was a young, and I'm talking teenage virgin. Okay. As she's supposed to be. Okay. But young teenage girl wearing, marrying an older guy. Okay. Which was perfectly fine and normal in that time. But again, young teenage girl. Yeah. Marrying age. Yeah. They were going to marry her off. Yeah. There's the, the organization and all this, but this is not, we, we, we can't. And way too often we want to turn and venerate Mary. Don't get me wrong. 
Mary is blessed. Mary is wonderfully blessed, actually. I, I'm getting deeper and deeper into that as I'm preparing my portion of our Christmas Eve because we're doing our Christmas Eve service on the Magnificat, on Mary's Mary's song when, you know, celebrating the fact that God has blessed her so by placing on her the caring of the Christ child. So she is truly blessed. But one of the biggest things she speaks of in the Magnificat is, and I think I need to back up because I think it's, yeah, sorry. I need to back up into Luke 1. There we go. Um, she speaks of it. Um, verse 48, for he has looked upon the humble state of his slave, speaking of herself, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Again, she's speaking of her humble estate. What she's talking of is that she's the poorest of the poor. She is, she is in the lowest. She is in the lowest social rung there is, the lowest economic rung rung there is. But he's exalting her. She goes on in verse fifty-two. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. <laughs> I mean. She knows. I mean, Mary knows better better than we do how humble she truly is and how humble she is because she knows her station in that society. And Joseph is not any more that. Believe me, they wouldn't have been marrying her to somebody very well off. I mean, Joseph was not some, you know, some, some rich magnate, not in any way, shape or form. But think of that, the humbleness of his parents. I mean, not only have we've seen the humbleness of, of, of the building or, or cave where he was born in that, that scenario and the humbleness of the village that that was in and the humbleness was of his parents and how amazing it is that God did such an awesome thing through such a humble beginning. And what we're going to see over the next couple of evenings, God willing, we're going to look at the humbleness of the announcement of his birth and the humbleness of the response to his birth. So that's going to do it for this evening. Let's go ahead and do our evening devotion. Uh, the text for it is from Matthew 20, verse 8. Call the laborers and give them their hire. God is a good paymaster. He pays his servants while at work as well as when they have done it. And one of his payments is this, an easy conscience. If you have spoken faithfully of Jesus to one person, when you go to bed at night, you feel happy in thinking, I have this day discharged my conscience of the man's blood. There is a great comfort in doing something for Jesus. Oh, what a happiness to place jewels in his crown and give him to see of the travail of his soul. There is also very great reward in watching the first budding of conviction in a soul. To say of that girl in the class, she is tender of heart. I do hope that there is the Lord's work within. To go home and pray over that boy who said something in the afternoon which made you think he must know more of divine truth than you had feared. Oh, the joy of hope. But as for the joy of success, it is unspeakable. This joy overwhelming as it is is a hungry thing. You pine for more of it. To be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. With every soul you bring to Christ, you get a new heaven upon earth. But who can conceive the bliss which awaits us above? Oh, how sweet is that sentence, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Do you know what the joy of Christ is over a saved sinner? This is the very joy which we are to possess in heaven. 
Yes, when he mounts the throne, you shall mount with him. When the heavens ring with well done, well done, you shall partake in the reward. You have toiled with him, you have suffered with him, you shall now reign with him, you have sown with him, you shall reap with him. Your face was covered with sweat like his, and your soul was grieved for the sins of men as his soul was. Now shall your face be bright with heaven's splendor, as is his countenance, and now shall your soul be filled with beatific joy, even as his soul is. All right. Well, that is our episode for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that that um, this time together helps to keep keep us saturated in the Word of God and helps to grow our understanding of the Scriptures and of the Word of God. All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fourth day evening prayer, God All-Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine, the world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless, all creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace! How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions. Have mercy on us. We are weary. Give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, oh, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good one. God bless. Mm-hmm.